Good morning once again, and welcome once again to Christ Church. My name is Nathan Miskey. I'm one of the vicars here, or pastors in training. And it's my joy and my privilege this morning to be able to present to you today's message. We're in the midst of our lesson series called Making Change, all about the changes we can make in our lives, and then the good changes and the healthy changes that can help us live more fulfilling lives. We've been, we're in week three, so we've looked at a couple changes already. We started with less is more. And when we focus in, when we narrow in on the most impo- important things in our lives, that can help us make healthy changes. We talked about stress is bad, how we focus on just the negatives, and we get inundated by the negatives and only look at those things, it can be unhealthy for us. Next week, we're going to look at how tomorrow matters. We're going to look at how the future when we look towards the future, we can make changes with the future in mind. And today we're going to look at giving is good. We're going to look at generosity and radical generosity because as Bill said, that is in our DNA here at Christ Church. Something that's been guiding our thoughts throughout this series is this. Crisis creates opportunity for change. Crisis creates opportunity for change. And honestly, This is a very nice way of putting this, because crisis doesn't just create the opportunity for change. Oftentimes, crisis forces us to change. We know that well right now, because we are in the midst of a global pandemic, which has no doubt caused certain changes in your life. Maybe you've had to work from home, and that's a big change adjusting to that. Maybe you're not able to go to your favorite store, your favorite restaurant, or you haven't been able to for a while, and that is a change. And those are just the change that we are forced to do, but we also get to take a step back in the midst of a crisis, in the midst of chaos, and make changes that are a little more voluntary as well. And now's a good time to talk about this because we are in the midst of crisis. In fact, we're in the midst of crises, not just one. If you're living in America right now, at a minimum, you are experiencing two crises. There's the pandemic, there's COVID, there's everything surrounding that. And that's just if you're dealing with it normally. But maybe there's additional circumstances relating to that. Maybe as a result of COVID, you are unemployed or underemployed. And that is a crisis. Maybe you are struggling with your health or someone you know is because of COVID. And that is a crisis. So that's crisis one. And then there's crisis two, which is what happened in Minneapolis about two weeks ago when George Floyd died. And protests sparked first there and then across the country. And now we have to deal with the question of what now? What do we do now about this? Yet another crisis. So if everything else in your life is going well, you are experiencing two crises. But we know just because there's brokenness over here doesn't mean brokenness stops over there. So you might be experiencing more personal crises unrelated to those because there's brokenness in the world. So we are all experiencing crises right now and multiple crises. And in the midst of this, I'm here to tell you today that giving is good. Giving and generosity is good. Now, I know what some of you must be thinking. Nathan, why are you telling me this now? Are you crazy? 
I can barely afford to pay my bills. I can barely afford to support myself or support my family. And you're asking me to give? You're asking me to think about generosity? You're asking me to think about donating to something? Are you crazy? Are you insane? And I get that. Trust me, I don't really want to be telling you this right now. It's a hard message to bring. But I do it because it's the message Christ brought to the world too. See, Christ teaches us to give in the midst of crisis, to give in the midst of crises. He does this from the temple steps. This story appears in Mark 12. It's also in Luke. If the temple steps sound familiar, that was our lesson series throughout Lent. So we looked at all the teachings Jesus gave from the temple complex in the week leading up to his crucifixion, where he died on the cross for your sins, and then he rose again, and conquered over death, and conquered over those sins. And we looked at a ton of different stories that Jesus taught from those temple steps, and there's so many, we didn't even get to this one, so we're going to get there now. And Jesus here at the beginning of the story takes a small break, takes a little, little time off from his teaching. You know, he's probably got tired, story after story of teaching, and he sits back, he relaxes, and he looks around, and he just observes what is happening What is going on right now in the temple? And Mark tells us this. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. Now this is good news. Jesus must have been excited about this because people were giving in their offering. People were donating to the temple treasury so that the high priest and the priests in the temple could distribute it to those in need in the midst of the crises that they were experiencing, the priests and the people of the temple were able to give and help people. And Jesus must have seen this and must have been excited about it. And it wasn't just poor middle-class people that were giving, it was rich people. And not just, not just some rich people, not just one or two, but many, a lot of rich people throwing in not just small amounts, large amounts, They weren't just tossing in a five or a 20 as the plate went by. They gave significant portions of their income. And this is good. Because it's great when poor and middle-class people give. It has a real impact. It does real good. But there's no denying that when rich people give, and they give a lot, it does a little more. When Bill Gates calls up Jeff Bezos and says, Jeff, get behind my charity, and those two come together and put their resources together and, and, and put their money towards something they believe in, that has a huge impact. So Jesus must see this and know the huge impact that must be coming for the people who need it. And he must be excited about this, but he gets even more excited about what he sees next. It says, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. This poor woman came, put in two coins worth only a few cents. And it's helpful for us to have this, right? Worth only a few cents and they're copper coins. It's very easy for us to visualize pennies, right? We get it. Two cents. It's basically what this is saying here. Next to nothing something that is almost worthless. But if you know why this is in here, it helps us understand just how worthless these coins really were because this worth only a few coins is not in here for the benefit of the English reader. Oftentimes, they'll put in parentheses in certain Bible translations, 
the, the translation, if you will, of a certain uh, coin value, a denarius, what that means, things like that, because we have no idea as English readers. But in fact, these coins were so worthless that the people in the first century who would have originally read this Gospel of Mark also wouldn't have known what, known what these coins were. They were so seldomly used because they were so small in value. She gave almost nothing. And yet Jesus is so excited about this because he says in verse 43, calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Jesus begins the sentence by saying, truly I tell you, and then by my calculation says something that is wildly untrue. He says that this poor widow who put in two cents has put in more into this treasury than the people who gave likely thousands of dollars. Two cents is not greater than thousands of dollars. And here's the thing about Jesus. He's terrible at math. I know, you probably weren't expecting to hear this today, but Jesus is terrible at math. First of all, he thinks two cents is worth more than thousands of dollars. Clearly, that's bad math. The very nature of Jesus is a math conundrum. You see, he's fully God, and fully human. 100% God, 100% human. That'd be like me trying to tell you that I'm 100% German and 100% English. That doesn't make sense. You can't be 200% of something. That's not how it works. But for Jesus, that's how it works. And God himself is once again an example of bad math, because we have this idea of the Trinity. Three persons, one God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God. But last I checked, three does not equal one. But for Jesus, it does. You see, it's not that Jesus is actually terrible at math. He just does it differently than we do. Because Jesus explains his math in the next verse here. He says, they all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. The rich people gave out of their wealth. And Jesus would have been excited about this. He would have been so pleased that the rich people were able to to work hard to accumulate the wealth so that they could give and have huge impact with their giving and with their generosity. He must have been so excited that they managed their money well, managed their finances well, did their budgets, did all those things so that they could give and have an impact. But they only gave a percentage of their wealth where she, this woman, put in everything, all of it, 100%. And in Jesus' math, and even in our math, 100% is greater than any other percentage. So this woman gave, even though it was a small amount, for Jesus, it was everything. But make no mistake, She didn't give when times were good. She didn't give when it was easy. She didn't just give when she had an abundance. She gave in a time of crisis. Don't believe me? Let's look at the verse. But a poor, okay, we're going to stop. She's poor. She doesn't have the money to support herself. She doesn't have the money to sustain herself and take care of her needs. That is a crisis. And then the next word, widow, her husband 
is dead. Now, we don't know when, how, or how long ago he died, but her husband is dead. And if you lose a loved one at any point in history, that is a crisis. But it's especially true for widows in the first century, because unlike now, where widows and women in general have tons of options available to them, widows in the first century had very few. Really, they had one. They could receive help from other family members. If they didn't get that, maybe they could get some help from the temple because rich people gave and other people were giving to the temple. But clearly this woman did not have much of that going on because she had two cents to her name. This is another crisis. So right away she's already experiencing two crises. But wait, there's more. We don't know about what else is going on in our life. She might have kids and trying to figure out how to feed them and support them. And that is another crisis. She might have other things going on in her life that we don't even know about that would constitute a crisis. And let's not forget about who she is. She is a Jewish woman giving money to the temple. And the Jewish people are in a crisis. Now, it's certainly not the worst crisis the Jews have experienced, but make no mistake, it is a crisis. And to explain that, we have to look at Jewish history for a second. You see, well before that, they were enslaved in Egypt. They were oppressed. They were forced to do Egyptian labor. But God, through Moses and parting the Red Sea, got them out of Egypt and brought them to the Promised Land, to Jerusalem, where they are now. But they didn't stay there. After they built this kingdom of Israel, it split into two, and eventually both kingdoms were conquered by Assyria and then by Babylon. And the Jews were sent out, away from the land, into exile. And generations later, some of them were able to come back, were able to re-enter into this promised land, which is where we are now in this story. But even though this land, which is supposed to be their own, and they have some level of autonomy over it, it's still not really their own because they are in Roman land. They're in the Roman Empire. And on a relative scale, this is a good time to be a Jew in the Roman Empire, but we know heavy persecution exists for Jews in the Roman Empire. They are not first-class citizens. They are in a crisis. So this poor widow who's a Jew living in Roman land who's a widow and who's poor, is experiencing crisis on top of crisis on top of crisis. Does this sound familiar to today? It does to me. Crisis on top of crisis on top of crisis. And even in the midst of all of this, she still gives. She doesn't give a little bit. She gives everything. Because what she understood and what Jesus is telling us here is that giving is not measured by what you give away. It's not measured by the dollar and cents amount of your giving. It's not measured by the amount of things you do. It's measured by what you give up. It's measured by your sacrifice. In order to give, you have to give up something. And this works well with our whole message series. Less is more when we focus on the most important things, we have room and margin to be generous in other areas of our life. And we get 
to give. But when we give, it's going to be sacrificial. We're going to have to give up certain things that we might want to do otherwise. And this woman understood this. She gave up everything, the ultimate sacrifice. Well, almost. Because the one person who gave even more than she did was the person watching it happen. John 3.16 is the most famous verse in the Bible. We looked at it last week. We're going to look at it again. For this is how God loved the world. He gave in God's radical generosity. He sacrificed his one and only son, Jesus, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus sacrificed everything, the most valuable thing you can, your life, so that that woman might have eternal life, so that you and me might have eternal life. And it's great that Jesus did this, and it's amazing. And it's the foundation of our faith. But it calls on us to act on it too. Because John 3.16 is very similar to 1 John 3.16. And an interesting quirk about the Bible is that these verses, which almost have the same name because John wrote the gospel and this letter, 1 John and the same verse have such similar themes. And what's cool is John didn't even do that on purpose. He didn't put in the chapters and verses. Those are, the verses were put in 1,500 years later just to help people read and find things in the Bible. So John didn't intend for this to happen, but it is the same idea. It just flips it now on us. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Jesus was radically generous for us. So, we also ought to give. We also ought to be generous. We also ought to show radical generosity in giving up our lives for our brothers and our sisters. We're called to be generous. We're called to love. We're called to give because Jesus first gave. And if you haven't figured it out by now, Giving is about so much more than money. And Jesus taught this. He taught this to the Pharisees when he gives them what I'm going to call the reverse compliment sandwich. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus is going in on the Pharisees. He is telling them what they don't want to hear, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these people who are supposed to understand better than anyone else the law, better than anyone else what God wants humans to do and act like. And Jesus is so upset with them because even though they should understand, they don't. So he gives them the reverse compliment sandwich. You know the compliment sandwich where you have to give someone some constructive criticism. So you start with something good about them, you give them a compliment. Sandwich in the middle is, is the constructive criticism, and then on the back end, you, you give them another compliment. Well, Jesus does this just opposite. He gives them the, the critical sandwich where he gives them the constructive criticism or really just yells at them compliments, and then more criticism. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites? Clearly, the critique. But here comes the compliment. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. You are faithful in giving that 10% of not just your primary income stream, not just the main way you earn money, but you're giving the 10% on your side hustle, on your secondary and tertiary income streams, on the garden you got in the backyard. You're giving your 
And this is great. This is amazing. And yet, Jesus says, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. The Pharisees understood the law, the letter of the law, but they didn't always understand the heart behind the law. Jesus would heal people on the Sabbath and they get mad at him because you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. That's what the law says. But Jesus is saying here is, it's about the heart behind the law, not the letter behind the law. I'm showing mercy when I heal on the Sabbath, which is really what the law is about. I'm being just on the Sabbath, which is really what the law is about. And we're called to do the same thing. We're called to give, not just in our finances, but in every aspect of our life. Because church, giving is good. Giving has real and tangible impact. I've been really encouraged recently by the news, which is a crazy thing to say, I know, because the news has been awful for months, the entirety of 2020. It's like, when will this terrible year end? But there's been some good news in there too. I've been most encouraged by some of the things happening in Minneapolis. I know most of the stuff coming out of there is bad news, but there's good in it, too. I I was encouraged when I saw a story about how a neighborhood with a grocery store that burned down asked for food for the people who couldn't uh, be able to buy it at the store anymore. And so many people donated food that it filled a parking lot, and they were barely able to even handle all the food that was donated. I was encouraged when I read about a story about how a barber shop in North Minneapolis, a very poor neighborhood, burned down. And this community establishment, this community hangout, this very important place to the community burned. And yet, they set up a GoFundMe, and within two days, they didn't just meet the goal, they far, far exceeded it. So they are able to rebuild. Because even in the midst of crises, it can sometimes bring out the best in humanity. And what's really cool about giving and what's really cool about the way God God designed us is even though that giving is sacrificial and giving is inherently selfless, it feels good to give. I think we all know that it feels so good when we give a gift to someone and they love it or we actually tangibly help someone who needs it. That feels so good. And we get to take part in that, even in the midst of crises. We get to give sacrificially, even in the midst of crises. We get to give with our finances, even when it's hard to. We get to give of our time and volunteering and helping out at charities and nonprofits and at churches, even when it's hard. We get to give in how we treat other people, when we forgive other people, when we choose to spend time with our family when we could with other people. We have to give in how we treat our spouses, our kids, our siblings, or our parents. We get to give when we know our friends are just really struggling and really need a night off, so we take their kids for the night. We get to give when we know a family who's really struggling and someone's sick and they're just really, really struggling and we cook a meal for them. 
We get to give in so many ways. And we're called to. We're called to be generous in so many ways. And when we are generous, it is good. And it has an impact. So let us then, church, be generous. Let us give not just out of our abundance, but let us give sacrificially too. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, we are so thankful um, that you are a generous God, that you are a God who sent your son into the world to make the change, to become a human and make another change, to die for our sins. We thank you that we get to receive forgiveness because of this. We thank you that we get to be resurrected along with your son because of this. And so God, in the midst of these crises, in the midst of all the problems that are going on in the world and in our worlds, God, give us the courage to be generous. Help point out to us where we can be generous and remind us to be generous in those moments as well. God, we pray for our world. We pray for all the problems and all the crises that are happening in it during this time. And God, we pray that you give wisdom and have your hand of blessing on it during this time as well. We love you. It's in your good and holy and righteous name that we pray. Amen.